So this morning we're going back again to Genesis chapter 3, and we'll continue where we left off last time, starting in verse 16. So the text is verses 16 through 20. Genesis 3, verse 16. To the woman, God said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. After the sermon, we'll respond together with the words of Psalm 117. Brothers and sisters, in the Lord Jesus Christ, just one sin, that's all it took, just one bite, just one stolen piece of fruit. We have the same experience, just one wrong word in a conversation, one wrong tone of voice, one wrong glance, and you know how it goes. But we also have the attitude like, well, it can't be that bad, I only did it once, I only did it a little bit, I mean, how bad can it be? But things in this world are bad, really bad. And it just took one bite. Just think what Eve did. She didn't kill anybody. She didn't murder her husband. She just took a bite from a piece of fruit. And yet that's all it took. And in that bite we find murder and mayhem and illness and disease and war and violence and earthquakes and epidemics, broken bones, bad eyesight, broken families, and the death of everyone who has ever lived. Those, those are the consequences of sin. Consequences which the Lord God imposed on mankind and on this world, on his creation. This is the result of the death sentence imposed by God. Now it's true, Adam and Eve didn't drop dead immediately after they fell into sin, after they rebelled against God. But eventually they did. Physical death, then, is the culmination of a life of dying. In Genesis 2, when God said, In the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die, the original Hebrew puts it this way, In the day that you eat of it, dying you shall die. Death came upon Adam and Eve immediately. In the day that they ate from the forbidden fruit, they began to die. 
and the power of death began to break down their bodies. But the most devastating effect of dying is, of course, that it causes our relationship with God to be broken. Man ran away from God. Adam and Eve tried to hide from God. They ran away from their creator, from the source of life. You could say that man became the walking dead. And the dying of man, that death that works its way into every aspect of our lives. Where there was love, now there is conflict. Where there was health and happiness, now there is pain and discomfort. Where there was harmony in creation and with creation, now the animals live in fear of man. And the New Testament states that all creation groans because of sin. Nothing is as it was intended to be. Nothing works right anymore. Childbirth is filled with pain and work has become toil. And where there used to be perfect harmony between husband and wife, now there's mistrust and finger-pointing. And all these things are the results of sin. This is the punishment that God has imposed on us because of sin. And yet, congregation, through all of this, God's grace shines. That's already evident from verse 15 in which God promises that the seed of the woman will bruise the head of the serpent. But the coming of this seed will not be without suffering and pain. And so as we look at the details of verses 16 through 19, we see how God's grace then is evident. His grace for sinners is clearly evident, even though he imposes the consequences of sin. And the first consequence is found in verse 16. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Now the wording here is similar to the phrase, dying you will die. In verse 16 you could translate, in multiplying I will multiply your pain. And in pain you will bring forth children. And that word pain could also be translated as sorrow. I will multiply your sorrow, and in sorrow you will conceive children. It's it's universal knowledge, of course, that childbirth brings pain, an inescapable pain. The Bible often compares pain and suffering and the inevitability of pain and suffering to the pain of birth pangs. When a child is ready to be born, there's no stopping it. There's no stopping the pain. But there's more to it than just that physical pain. As I already mentioned, that that word can also be translated as sorrow. I will greatly increase your sorrow in childbearing. The meaning here is that the entire process of bringing forth children into the world is one of pain and sorrow. From puberty through pregnancy and childbirth and beyond, there are so many ways connected to childbirth in which girls and women experience pain and sorrow and grief. There are so many things that can go wrong with a woman's reproductive system. Because of sin, the sin of the woman, for almost all women, this has become the normal way of things. This is the way things are. These are the consequences. In addition, for others, there is the added sorrow of childlessness and the inability to conceive And then there is the sorrow of miscarriage and the loss of life, life that a mother 
doesn't even have an opportunity to hold in her arms. And yet there is gospel here, brothers and sisters, there is gospel here. Think back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and following. God placed mankind on earth to multiply and to fill the earth. And that is still happening today, isn't it? The surprising thing is that God did not immediately take the life out of Adam and Eve. They should have been destroyed. But God spares them. They're both still standing there. And he's talking to them. And the other surprising thing is that with this sentence of death for sin, God did not curse the woman. The Lord cursed the serpent. Later he cursed the ground, but he did not curse the woman. He did not curse her with barrenness and infertility, because that's what should have happened. Death should have closed her womb altogether. But instead, the woman is to bring forth life. There will still be new life. Even though death was brought into the world through her actions, the great miracle is that through this woman, life comes into the world. Children will be born. There will be more image bearers of God. There will still be a seed of the woman. God will still have a church. And from the seed of the woman will come the one who will bruise the head of the serpent. Through her painful childbearing, God will work out salvation for his people. And that you and I today are sitting here listening to this message is evidence, Lord, brothers and sisters, is evidence of the Lord's grace. It's a miracle of God's grace. But there's more. The last part of verse 16, your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And this is not an easy sentence to translate because some of these words occur very infrequently in the Old Testament. And there are various legitimate ways to put this into English. And just as an aside, if you have trouble with a text, sometimes it's it's a good idea to look at different English translations to see what translators are trying to get at, to try and see what is behind the meaning of the text. So you also translate, your desire shall be, or the, the, the newest version of the ESV, which I have, uses the word contrary. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. An older version of the ESV has, your desire shall be for your husband, And there are other translations that say your desire shall be toward your husband. And the Net Bible has you will want to control your husband, but he will dominate you. So from all of these translations, we get the sense that there is going to be tension. And the word for desire is used in only two other places in Scripture. Once in the Song of Songs, Chapter 7, verse 10, there it's in the connotation of romantic desire, but that context does not fit well in Genesis 3. You might also know, congregation, that one of the cardinal rules of Scripture interpretation is that you first try to find an easy verse to understand in order to interpret a more difficult verse. So for that reason, let's turn to the next chapter. Genesis chapter 4, verse 7. There the Lord is speaking to Cain and he's warning warning Cain 
about the temptation of sin, about, about his anger. And in verse 7, the Lord says to Cain, If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. And here it comes. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. So here you find almost the very same wording that you find in chapter 3, verse 16. The Lord is saying to Cain, sin's desire is contrary to you. Sin's desire is to have you and to dominate you and to rule over you. But you must master sin. You must rule over sin. So the question God is asking Cain is, who's going to dominate who here? So then we go back to chapter 3. How do we understand that? Well, it means that because of sin, the woman, contrary to how she was created, will want to dominate her husband, but instead he will dominate her. The curse of sin distorts the relationship between husband and wife. Eve had done that once already. She usurped Adam's role as head of his wife when she took over the conversation with the serpent and urged her husband to eat of the forbidden fruit. And because of sin, she will now continually be tempted to do that again and again. And now some interpreters argue that the negative impact of these words only apply to the woman. But that is not the case. And that God says to the woman, and he shall rule over you, that's not a command to men to rule their husbands in a domineering way. It's not a command. And it's not simply God's punishment over the woman, but it's also God's punishment over the husband. Because think about it. The man was created to be the head of his wife. He was created to be good to his wife. Or to put it in New Testament terms, to love his wife as Christ loves his church. But the sinful husband falls far short of that. The truth is that from now on, that harmonious relationship between husband and helper that God created is replaced by the sinful desire to rule and dominate, the sinful desire to exploit one another's weaknesses for selfish reasons. From now on, there will be tension in marriage. It's not going to be smooth sailing. It will not be the way God intended it to be from the beginning. And so every, you could say every unhealthy and every negative way of relating between husband and wife is included in these words of verse 16. Nothing is going to work the way it was intended to work. Childbirth will be difficult. Marriage will not be what it was intended to be, and work will become toil, burdensome. In verses 17 through 19, God also had some very specific words to say to Adam. His calling, too, is put under the curse. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. You shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face. You shall eat your bread. So because Adam chose to eat of the forbidden fruit, from now on his eating would be filled with pain and sweat. He will have to deal with thorns and thistles. Nothing is going to come easy. Work is going to become toil. There's a virus in the system that's messed the whole thing up. There's a, there's a mutation in creation. And nothing is right anymore. 
Right? Every farmer knows that all the modern technology in the world doesn't stop your weeds from growing and coming back every spring. And if you don't stay on top of things, then the thorns and the thistles and the mildew is going to destroy your crops and it will take over. And this is true of every line of work. Right? Machines break down. Engineering plans are flawed. Employees make mistakes. Businesses fail. You're either looking for work or you're way too busy. And sometimes all you're doing is, is putting out fires and at the end of the day you feel like you haven't accomplished anything. The curse of sin has spread into every nook and cranny of life. Nothing comes easy. And in the end, your bones ache, your back is bent, you have to walk with a cane, and you return to the dust from which you were taken. Funeral homes never lack for business. And the obituary columns in every newspaper in the country testify to the effects of the curse of sin. Dying you shall die. And we're all, we're all dying, aren't we? In pain we are brought into this world and most of us die in pain too. What a horribly tragic story. You might be thinking by now this is not a very uplifting sermon. The congregation, there's grace here too. God's grace shines through all the imposed consequences of sin. Let's think about it, congregation. The punishment that God gave to Adam and Eve and to all of us is much lighter than what we deserve. The woman is still blessed with children. From her will come the seed that brings life to all mankind. And man is still blessed too. Yes, the earth is cursed because of his sin. There's all kinds of grief attached to his work and his labor, but he can still eat. And we're even blessed with much success on our labor. God blesses us with with lots of material blessings. And we get to enjoy all kinds of good food and recreational activities. And in many ways we may enjoy creation, the beauty of creation, and even the animals that God has made. God is good to us. And even though the curse has affected the relationship between husband and wife and between parent and child, When we are in Christ, we are free from that curse. Free from the curse of sin. In Romans chapter 5, the Holy Spirit shows us how we've been freed from that curse. Here the apostle confirms that sin came into the world because of Adam's sin, and death entered the world because of that sin, and so death came to all. But then he contrasts Christ's death with Adam's sin. God showed his love for us and that his son died for us while we were still sinners. And yes, Adam's sin affects and infects all of us. But Christ's death and resurrection has conquered the curse of sin. In him we are redeemed. In him life is redeemed. In Christ, childbirth is redeemed. In Christ, our marriages are redeemed. And cleansed and renewed. And when we are in Christ, we can, we can put aside desires of dominance and control. And in Christ, with the help and grace of the Holy Spirit, we can begin to live the way the Lord intends us to live. In Christ, children can live in quiet submission to their parents, and parents can function with godly authority. 
In Christ, employers and employees can show care and concern for one another. Christ has taken the curse upon himself. And in doing so, he also begins to remove the consequences of that curse. And yet, yet in this life, those consequences are not completely taken away. Suffering is still part of our lives. Let's turn once again to Romans 5. I want to read the first five verses with you again. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Well, what do these words tell us? It tells us that suffering makes us wise. Suffering drives us to Christ. Suffering makes us depend on God. Imagine if there was no suffering. While we still lived in this under the curse of sin. What if God had not imposed any consequences of sin and let us live a life of easy sailing? Would we turn to God? Would we seek his face? Would we seek out Christ? So do you see God's grace in judgment? God's judgment has a, has a gracious effect on us. By God's grace, the consequences of sin drive us into the arms of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's why we read in Romans 5 that suffering produces perseverance and character and hope. God uses our suffering to bring us to himself again and again and again. He uses our suffering to bring us to Christ. He uses our suffering to make us see his grace. And Adam saw it too. Adam saw it too. He responded to the curse of sin with faith. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And we might think, well, that's just an aside That's not a big deal, but it is. He calls his wife life giver. That's what Eve means. Why did he do this? He did this because he understood God's message. He understood the gospel. Just moments before he was pointing the finger at his wife, he was blaming her for for wrecking everything. He even blamed God for giving him that woman. But now he says, this is my wife. She is Eve, the mother of all living. She is going to be the source of life. 
So he's not blaming her anymore. He doesn't see her as the one who tempted him, the one who wrecked his life, but he honors her as the mother of all living. She is the one from whom all life is going to come. And Adam's response shows that he was really listening to God. God's grace had opened his eyes to see the mercy of God. He should have been dead. But he's allowed to live. Eve should have been dead. But she's allowed to bear children. They had no right to be standing before God there. But God intervened. And God promised them life and redemption. And Adam believes it. And he trusts God. Even though they're threatened by death, he believes that he and his wife will not be the last human beings to live. There is hope. That's what Paul writes in Romans 5 too. Hope in God's promises does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. That's true for us. That was true for Adam too. Today, of course, we understand more than Adam did. We know more than he did because the promise, the fulfillment of that promise has come in Jesus Christ. Adam never lived to see that day, but we have. And he still lived by faith and in hope. So, brothers and sisters, we have an even stronger hope than Adam could have had. Let us also live in that hope. The promised one has come. He has defeated death. He has conquered sin, taken the curse of sin upon himself. And for everyone who believes and trusts in him, that curse has been lifted. And God's grace shines upon us. So let's live in that hope. Amen.